You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. We've been sharing three presentations, talking about, you all notice how I said three presentations, I held up my whole hand. Three presentations that are talking about the priorities in the Christian life. Three main disciplines to prosper and grow as a Christian, and it is reading the Bible, prayer, sharing your faith. When I was a baby Christian living up in the mountains, there was a very dedicated uh, man, as we all called him, Brother Harold. I don't even know what his last name was. He was a Jewish convert, an older man. And he had gone through a dramatic conversion experience from being a devout Jew to Christianity. And he had a ministry working among the street people and the hippies, of which I was one. But this man was probably one of the most dedicated Christians I've ever met. I mean, he woke up at like uh, three or four in the morning. He prayed for an hour. He'd read his Bible in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. He'd then go to the hospital and he'd visit all the rooms. Back then, you didn't need to be the hospital chaplain. He would just go walk into the rooms and say, I'd like to quote you a scripture. And he, from memory, he'd quote the 23rd Psalm, or he'd quote something. Whenever I heard him quote the Bible, his voice would quiver. I used to go to these early morning prayer meetings in a place called Joshua House, and uh, Brother Harold would be there, and I'd see him praying before the meeting, and he used to just look up and pray, and I saw his face would glow. I mean, the man was walking with God. Well, that's just to introduce him to you a little bit. Now, I'm walking down Palm Avenue in Palm Springs one day, and he comes up behind me in his three-wheel bicycle. He rode a little three-wheel bicycle with a basket on the back. And he saw me and recognized me. He said, Doug, how are you doing? I said, well, okay. He said, how are you and the Lord doing? I said, well, you know, okay. He said, how long can you hold your breath? I thought, well, where, where'd that come from? But I was glad to answer because I could hold my breath for four minutes and 10 seconds. Because... Um, Karen helped me under once, and she timed it. No, <laughs> no and uh, no, actually, I, I used to, you know, I grew up with a swimming pool. We used to scuba dive and snorkel, and I would free dive. So I, I was glad he asked. He said, you shouldn't go any longer than that without praying. He said, how often do you eat? I said, two or three times a day. He said, that's how often you need to read or meditate on God's Word. And I said, what's going to happen to you if you do not exercise? I said, well, you get weak and flabby. He said, that's what happens to your faith if you don't share it. He said, you've got a physical body that has very real needs. You have a spiritual body that has very real needs. If you do not take care of those practical needs, there's going to be a cause and effect. We need to read our Bibles. We need to pray. We need to share our faith, let our light shine. But we cannot do it in our own strength. We need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one of the few times you're going to notice in the Bible, and we heard our scripture reading from Acts. I'm going to read what Jesus says in Luke 24. Jesus told the disciples, I want you to be witnesses, but notice what he says at the end of his ministry in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry. What does tarry mean? Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
You cannot live the Christian life without the Christian power, and you cannot share the message without the power. Jesus said, unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you could work with your pastor if you've not been baptized, and you could set a date on a calendar for your water baptism. It's a little different for the spirit baptism, but the spirit baptism is even more important than the water baptism. There will be people in heaven who may not be baptized in water like the thief on the cross, but you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, unless, John 5, sorry, John 3, verse 5, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know a lot of pastors and evangelists, I'm one of them, we love to tell how many were baptized, and it always makes for a good report with the conference. But I almost never have any conference president say, how many were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because they're only halfway there. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, you may not be able to schedule the date, but there are things you can do to bring about the gestation and the conception and the ultimate delivery of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and Jesus was born within. And we need that spiritual birth to happen within us. How was the Holy Spirit poured out in the book of Acts, chapter 8? Christ said, don't go off preaching, teaching. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He ascended to heaven after 40 days of meeting with them, but the Holy Spirit didn't come until 50 days, Pentecost, after. That means they spent 10 days doing what? They were in the upper room reading the Bible and praying. You know what Jesus did? Every time that Jesus appeared to them before his resurrection, he opened to them the scriptures. He gave them a Bible study. Then they went to the upper room and they prayed. And then sound came from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and the place was shaken where they were assembled, and tongues of fire appeared upon them all. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That happened after they had bathed themselves in the Word and bathed themselves in prayer. And it's the next sequence. You know, the greatest revival in the Bible happened in the way in the name of or in the times of Jonah. Jonah, that reluctant prophet. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter one. But he wasn't listening to the word. In chapter two, Jonah does a lot of praying. All of chapter two is a prayer of Jonah. Chapter three, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Jonah, you might say, was born again. You get that? If you've been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, you come out, that's like a resurrection. <laughs> Jonah was born again. And after he was born again, God said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again the second time. This is chapter 3. said, arise and go to Nineveh. He said, yes, sir. And he went in the power of the Spirit. And he preached. And the whole city was converted. You can't find a place. I mean... You know, if you're going to have Jonah for an evangelist or Noah, Noah reached eight. Jonah reached the whole city. <laughs> That's probably not a good comparison. <laughs> but he was born again. 
It's a lot easier to let your neighbors know about Jesus when you've experienced this new birth. So we're going to look at some vignettes in the Bible of people who were successful in witnessing and what brought that about, because we need that baptism of the Spirit. Can you say amen? amen? If you look with me in the second book of Kings, now time will not permit for me to you know, read all of the story, but I'll, I'll bring you up to speed. Second Kings, I want you to go to chapter 7. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a battle between the nation of Israel and the Syrians. And the Syrians surround the capital of Samaria. And they besiege the city. And they besiege the city for so long, and it may have lasted a couple of years, so that they're, they're starving to death in the city. In fact, there's a very troubling passage in there about the people turning to cannibalism because they are so hungry. It says they're selling donkey's heads for 80 shekels of silver in a, a pint of dove droppings or seed pods. They're not sure what that word was, but either way, you don't want to eat it. And it, conditions in the city were horrific. Sometimes these Bible sieges would last a long time. You can read in the Bible where it says, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem for two years. People couldn't go out or get in. And it was a good thing that Hezekiah brought water into the city or they wouldn't have nearly lasted that long. But they used to starve them to surrender. They would starve them so they couldn't fight and they'd ultimately surrender. By the way, the devil still does that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil doesn't want us to eat the bread of life and he wants to starve us into surrender. That's why I keep saying we've got to read our Bibles. This is how you fight temptation. And after you get a picture of how bad things are in the city, then you go to chapter 7 and you read in verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. You know, they used to have leper colonies outside the city. And uh, some of these leper colonies, you know, they may have had 50, 100 people in them. But these lepers are in a really dire strait. You've heard the expression of being caught between a rock and a hard place. It's bad for the people in the city. But it's bad for the lepers because the lepers cannot leave. The Assyrian army has surrounded Samaria and they can't get past the Assyrian army. They can't get in the city because they're unclean. They're lepers and they're in no man's land where everyone's firing arrows back and forth from each other. There's no food and they're starving. They've all died off and it says there's four left. By the way, I think it's Josephus that says one of them was Gehazi, who had been struck with leprosy in chapter 5. Keep that in mind. Finally, they say to one another, why do we stay here till we die? If we say we're going to enter the city, well, the famine's in the city. They're starving there. If we stay here, we're going to die. Our only option that offers any hope at all is let us surrender to the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll but die. We're dying anyway. And they take a vote and they say, that's our only option. So with great trepidation, they get up and they start to tiptoe towards the camp of the Syrians that has completely surrounded, you know, there are maybe hundreds of thousands of soldiers surrounded the capital of Samaria. And as they get closer, they're a little surprised because they don't see any soldiers. They see the tents. They see donkeys and camels. They see campfires with smoke wisping out. They see something on the barbecue, but they don't see anybody. 
The camp looks a little disheveled. And you read on, you get the whole story. It says, they came to the camp of the Syrians and there's no man there for the Lord had caused the Syrian army to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of an army. And they thought this great army is approaching and they panicked. They weren't expecting great resistance now. They were expecting to surrender, but they thought, no, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites or the Egyptians to attack us. And, and one of them began to drop everything and run. The others began to drop. And they said, what is it? There's an army coming. And they fled in a panic. And it says they rose and they left the camp as it was. Horses, camels, everything all tied off. Their tents full of treasure. Because, you know, when you went on a two-year siege, you took your bank account with you and you, you took your possessions. And it says the lepers went crawling into one of the tents and the ravenous, they found food and water. They're cold. They're wearing rags. I mean, these poor guys are poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. And they find clothes, silver, gold. They eat what they can. They fill their arms. They think, who knows where they are? Maybe this is a trap or they're at a committee meeting somewhere. And they carry what they can carry on their spindly legs back to the city walls. And they dig a hole and they bury it. And then one of them says, you know, we don't know how long this siege is going to last. Maybe we ought to go back for another load, see if they're back yet. So they go tiptoeing back, and they're still gone. No sight of any soldiers. They go into another tent. They get some more provisions. They load up, and they carry it back. And they probably ate so much, they looked like a boa constrictor that had swallowed a pig. <laughs> and they carry it back, and then they say, what do you guys think, another load? And they go and they get another load and they carry it back. And while this is happening, when they get to the wall and they start to dig a hole to bury the treasure, over the wall they hear the people crying and moaning from starvation. And one of them, it'd be interesting to find out if it was Gehazi, who, by the way, got leprosy because of greed. He said one of the best verses in the Old Testament, if you underline in your Bible, underline, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. He said, We are not doing what is right. This is a day of good news. If we remain silent until the morning, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. This is a day of good news, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, let us come that we may go and tell the king's household. They had found an abundance of food. Everybody in the city is starving to death. They've got the, the vaccine. <laughs> that's maybe not a good analogy, sorry. These days, I don't know. That's, I didn't mean it that way. I used to share, share this sermon. That wasn't an issue. I said, they got the vaccine for sin. It's like, you know, the gospel is the vaccination for sin. They've got the antidote, and they're keeping it to themselves. And they said, come, that we may go and tell the king's household. They're all dying, and we've got the cure. And we don't share. You know, if you really believe that those who have Jesus have everlasting life, and those who don't have Jesus do not. And if you don't share, that means you either don't believe it or you don't care. Is that right? Help me with my logic. If we really believe that those who have Christ will live forever in glorified bodies in paradise, and if they don't have Christ, they're going to a lake of fire, and we don't ever tell anybody, 
We're maybe more afraid for ourselves than we are for them. You wonder, do we believe it? Or do we care? Those are your alternatives. Christians need to share their faith, but you must have the Holy Spirit to do it. These folks came to their senses. They said, this is a day of good news. And we hold it. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. We will not be, we've got good news and we're not sharing it. If we don't share it, some mischief will come upon us. I'll tell you, I've been to a lot of churches that are going through a lot of mischief and it's almost always because they're not doing evangelism. I've seen so many churches that are all embroiled in all kinds of internal squabbles. Matter of fact, I often tell Pastor Ross, I wouldn't mind pastoring at all if it wasn't for people. <laughs> because wherever you got people, you got problems. But some churches get so misdirected with the internal problems, they forget what their mission is. And then we show up, and because they've scheduled evangelism, we get them involved in focusing on Christ and sharing the gospel. And it seems like so many of the problems evaporate when they get involved in sharing the good news. You want to get rid of darkness, you introduce light. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. There was a sign in front of a Baptist church and it said, repent now and avoid the rush. <laughs> we can't wait until the morning light before we start sharing the good news. Now, while the doors of mercy are open, now we've got opportunities for sharing the gospel unlike anything. I don't know that we're always going to have the freedom we have right now to use the internet. Seems like more and more things are getting canceled. There are some countries, amazing facts, cannot broadcast certain messages because they would be called hate speech. Just if you just read in the Bible, some places would classify that as hate speech. And I don't think it's gonna get better. I hope there'd be a big revival and turn that around, but we know how the story ends. This is a day of good news. If we hold our peace, some mischief will come upon us. You've read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. That parable really has nothing to do with the state of the dead, and that's what people use it for. That parable is Jesus talking to the Jewish nation. And he's saying, there was a rich man clothed in purple. This is Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Clothed in purple, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain poor beggar named Lazarus that lay at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And the rich man died, and he went to Hades. But Lazarus died, and he's carried to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, in torment, he looks and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and he says, Father Abraham, Send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, my son. He said, there's a great gulf fixed between us. Do you realize that once this life's over, there's a gulf fixed? It's like it says in Revelation 22, there's a day coming where the just will be just and the unholy will be unholy, and there's no changing teams anymore. It is forever, eternally fixed. He says, it's too late. And he says, oh, well, perhaps you can send him back to my father's house. I've got five brothers. You can warn him, them against this place of torment. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. See, he's talking to the Jewish nation. Oh, nay, Father Abraham, if someone went to them from the dead, then they would believe. Now, here's the moral of the whole parable. Abraham says, 
If they believe not Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded the one should rise from the dead. It's interesting, not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but he rose someone from the dead by the name of Lazarus, and they still did not believe. Matter of fact, they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was like a living testimony of Jesus' power. What's that parable telling us? The rich man, the Jewish nation, and the church, especially the Seventh-day Adventist church, has the truth. The Jewish nation had the scriptures. They had loaves and loaves of bread. They were feasting on the word, and the Gentiles around them were laying at the gate desiring to eat the crumbs that fell from their table. But they were saying, well, you're dogs, you're Gentiles, you're unclean. But Jesus wanted them to be alike to the Gentiles. He gave them the truth so that they would share it. He wanted them to be a nation of kings and priests for the Gentiles. But they just sort of built walls around themselves and kind of lived in their own little community. And they forgot that the mission was to get the light out there, to get the bread out there, to save the hungry. And that's what often happens. We're afraid to get out of our comfort zone and share the gospel with the lost. That's what that parable is about. If we tarry till the morning light, we might find out, you know, that's an amazing, it's interesting, Jesus uses the word Abraham's bosom for salvation. That's obviously a metaphor for the Jews of the saved. And then he uses Hades, where the rich man goes. What Christ did there is he used an incredible paradox he has the Gentile going to the Jewish place of reward, and he has the Jew going to the Gentile place of punishment. See what he's doing? Jesus, they all understood what he was talking about. It was a parable. He's not saying people die and go right to heaven or hell when they die. He's warning us about not feasting while people at our gates desiring the crumbs that fall from our table. He gives us a message. You know, the best way for you to keep the gospel is to give it away. If you keep, try to keep the gospel to yourself, you'll lose it. If you want to strengthen a muscle, you've got to use it. If you want to strengthen your faith, you need to share it. If you want your light to get brighter, give it away. Pass it on. The reason I know anything I know about the Bible is because I got involved in sharing it with others, and it fortifies it in my own mind. The biggest blessing for me is to be involved in sharing Christ with others. It's a blessing for me. And I'm just, I, I worry sometimes because I grew up outside in the world, and when I got into the Adventist church, quite honestly, and I'm sure it's true with any church, not just ours, but I was, I was bewildered that people were not more excited about what I had just learned. And you all know there's sometimes people come into the church and they are just, they're on fire. They go, wow, where have you guys been? I've learned more about the Bible in six weeks at this evangelistic program than I learned in my whole life in my church. I never heard of you folks before. Where have you been? And they said, we got to tell the world. People need to hear this. And folks say, oh, calm down. You'll settle down. <laughs> we, we hope they don't, but yeah, we don't want them to lose their first love. This is a day of good news. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Come now that we may go. I like the way that's worded. Come that we may go. How does that play out? Jesus says in the great invitation, come unto me. And then he says in the great commission, go and tell the world. First you come to Jesus. And then you go for Jesus. We come that we may go 
and tell the king's household. And they did. And the people went storming out of the gates of the city the next day. And there was such an abundance of food that there was a, uh, a great deflation in the prices. <laughs> we all know the story of Isaiah's conversion, Isaiah chapter 6. I'll read it to you real quick. It doesn't take long. Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll just read through 1 through 9 and a half. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now Isaiah sees this vision of God on his throne in his glory. So I said, woe is me. I think in Hebrew that translates, uizve ismir. Oh, really? Uizve ismir. It means woe is me. My grandmother used to always say, uizve. That's where it comes from. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king. It says, in the year that king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And then it says that he, after he repents and confesses of his sin, one of the seraphim flies to him, having in his hand a live coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched his mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. He receives this cleansing and this filling. And then I heard the voice of the Lord. Now he can hear. He hears the word of God. Saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He says, here am I, send me. And he said, go, tell this people. So what brought about Isaiah's conversion where he's willing now to go and tell others? He sees the Lord. He sees the Lord in the year that his king died. That's talking about seeing the Lord on the cross. What was it that so mobilized the apostles where in one generation, without the internet, without radio, without television, without a printing press, somehow they took the gospel to the then known world in just about 25 years? How could they do that? You know, there is no substitute for passion. There's no substitute for prayer. If we are in love with the Lord, they saw Jesus hanging on their cross. They saw him dying on their cross for their sin. They saw the king lifted up in his holiness. They saw him ascend to heaven. They knew he was alive at the right hand of the Father. They had strong faith. And you could not, you know, before that conversion experience, people made fun of Peter and said, ah, oh, you're one of his followers. I don't know who he is. Never saw him before. But after the cross, they told Peter, do not preach anymore in the name. He said, whether it's right in the sight of God to obey you more than God, you judge. But we cannot be quiet. Because they saw Christ lifted up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So one of the things that will empower us for witnessing is having that born-again experience of just seeing God's love for you, seeing what he suffered. You know, there are two bodies of water in um, the land of Israel that are prominent. It's interesting. 
In most parts of the world, you've got many rivers running to one ocean. But in the promised land, you've got one river that is feeding two oceans. You've got the Jordan River that runs into the north of the Sea of Galilee, and then it runs out of the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, and then it feeds the Dead Sea. And so you got two seas being fed by one river. Nothing else like that in the world. It's interesting that the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the planet. Where the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the planet. Now, the fascinating thing is they got the same river running into both seas, but the seas are opposites. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. They still fish it today. You'd think after all these years there'd be no fish left. But we were there a couple of years ago. They're still fishing it, and they're still feeding people from the fish in the sea. The Dead Sea does not have a mosquito larvae or a polywog. It has nothing in it. We went swimming. I was with Pastor Ross and Ruth and Karen and I. We were in Israel, took a little group with us. You all want to go one of these days? And we were swimming out there, and you can't float because there's so much salt. You can't sink, rather, because there's so much salt that uh, you just bob. I tried to turn over on my belly and swim. My legs kept popping out of the water. I couldn't kick my feet. And you look, you're out there, you're talking to somebody, you think they're standing up. They're not standing on anything, they're just floating. It's really something. But because of the salt content, because it evaporates faster, and because nothing runs out of the bottom, it's dead. Nothing can live there. It's just full of these salts and chemicals. The difference between those two rivers, both rivers take, but only, both oceans take from the Jordan River, but only one gives. Not only does the Sea of Galilee receive, but then it's a conduit. It flows in and then it flows out. The Dead Sea only takes. If you have been in the church for years and you only come to see what you're going to get, I hope you get something out of your church, but if you're only thinking about what you're going to get, you will die. We need to learn how to be channels of blessing to the world as Christians, and that's what keeps you alive and keeps you fresh. Be involved in doing whatever you can do, whatever your gifts are. And I know that may change at different seasons in life. Get involved in a prayer ministry. But everybody can do something to use their gifts in sharing the gospel. After Isaiah sees the Lord, and you know, that's really the conversion process for him. He sees the Lord. What brought about Paul's conversion process? On his way to Damascus, he saw Jesus. And it changed his life. He never forgot that. The thief on the cross who is converted, what brought about his conversion process? He saw Christ lifted up on the cross. Zacchaeus, what brought about his conversion process? He climbed a tree and he saw Jesus. It says he wanted to see Jesus. And did he see him? By the way, the best way to see Jesus is when you climb a tree. He was crucified with Christ. Christ died on a tree. From the cross, that thief saw Jesus, and it changed his life. Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that his king died. It's a metaphor for seeing God in the context of the cross. And after they see that, it brings about this radical conversion experience. Now, once that happens, after Isaiah sees the Lord, he then, by contrast, sees himself. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. He repents. 
he confesses. How long does God make him wait after he repents and confesses? Immediately, God sends cleansing. When Jesus shows himself to Zacchaeus, how long is it before Zacchaeus repents and confesses? As soon as Christ says, I see you, I want to eat at your house today, Zacchaeus comes down, he says, Lord, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I pay back fourfold, half my goods I give to the poor. He repents and confesses right after he sees Jesus. And then Jesus says, salvation is come to this house. How long did he have to wait? How long did Isaiah wait? As soon as he repented and he confessed. What about Paul? <laughs> Paul spent three days praying, but as soon as Paul humbled himself, God forgave him. What about the thief on the cross? He turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me. He publicly repents. He says, my friend and I were getting what we deserved. But this man has done nothing amiss. He confesses Christ. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And immediately, in spite of all of his suffering, Jesus, the devil could nail his hands to the cross, but they could not keep the Savior from saving. And Jesus, the brightest moment he had on the cross was when someone asked to be saved. Because that's why he came into the world. How long did that thief have to wait? You know, the good news in this story is that anybody here, salvation is a prayer away. If we repent of our sins and we confess that we are sinners to God, that he, we see Jesus dying for us, that he will accept us, he will forgive us. That ought to so fill your hearts with love. That is good news, that you go from death to life, you go from being sick to being well, from being lost to being found. And then after, after Isaiah prays, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is now speaking to him and guiding him. God can speak to you in a new way. You notice that when Jesus was baptized, it's an, a symbol of what we expect. He wasn't baptized for his sin. He's baptized as an example for us. Christ comes out of the water. The heavens are open. For us, the heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And they heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son. You hear God speak to you in a new way. When you have been, when you surrendered your life to the Lord, you belong to the Lord, he'll begin speaking to you in a new way. You know, I love the story that you find in the gospel of Luke. You go to Luke chapter 24, last chapter, and it tells about these disciples. Of course, it's the day of the crucifixion. They just saw Jesus die for him and then they hear rumors that his body's disappeared. And that Sunday afternoon, they're so discouraged, they don't know what to believe. And they're walking down the road seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And a stranger joins them in the fork of a road, just walks alongside. And it wasn't uncommon for people to walk together for safety as they went down some of those roads. You heard about this good Samaritan, what happened to him traveling alone. And they're talking about all that happened. And Jesus said, what manner of communication is this you're having one with another as you walk on the road and you are sad? Gospel's good news, amen? And they said, oh, are you just a stranger in Jerusalem? What a thing to say to Jesus. Haven't you heard about what's happened recently? Christ sort of humors him. He says, what things? Oh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet mighty in word and deed before God and all the people and how our rulers condemned him, and he was crucified, and now his body has disappeared, and this is the third day since these things happened. You would think that they would have said third day, and they would have remembered, yeah, Jesus said about 20 times, after three days I'll rise. 
In fact, he said that so often that his enemies remembered it. They went to Pilate and they said, didn't this deceiver say he's going to rise after third day, three days? You better guard the tomb. And then Jesus says to him, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus gives them a Bible study unlike any Bible study. I have often thought, boy, when I get to heaven, I'd love to get a, a CD or a cassette tape or a track, depends on what they have up there. And I, I'd love to hear Jesus' sermon translated, of course, into English. I'd love to hear Jesus' sermon and find out what did he study with them on that hour and 40 minutes, walking seven miles from uh, Jerusalem down to Emmaus. But whatever it was, the Bible says their hearts were burning within them. And then they said, they come to a fork in the road. Jesus makes like he's going to keep on going. They said, oh, it's getting late. Look, sun's going down. They didn't want, to, they didn't want that Bible study to end. You ever have one of those sermons you didn't want it to end? I hope this is one right now. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. You come to our house. You know, we, on that point, Karen and I travel around the world, and we just, we've been in a lot of wonderful places. And uh, I'll tell you, when, when they bring us to places like India, and they take you from place to place, and they say, we've got one more group could you meet with? They're waiting for you. And I say, it's 9 o'clock at night. I'll say, no, no problem, no problem, no problem. And then they tell you, they don't tell you it's a two-hour drive to this place. <laughs> and you get halfway there, and you go, it's, it's 10 o'clock. They're not going to be there. Oh, no, 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 they'll be there. And you get there, and there's like 900 people still waiting. Because they're so hungry for the Word of God. That happened to us in Fiji. We drove and got in. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and they said, there's a group waiting to hear. They want to hear the Word of God. And we're going, a matter of fact, Karen and the other team said, we're going to the hotel. <laughs> and they said, me and Wayne. And they were so tired. And sure enough, you get there, and all these people are gathered. They want to hear the Word of God. And that wakes me right up. I don't know how our cameraman felt, but I felt pretty good. <laughs> and they said, don't leave us. And they constrained him. And he said, okay. He came in to abide with them. And then they said, maybe you could have the prayer for the bread. And Jesus then, I don't know if he had maybe had a hood on and maybe they hadn't seen his hands. For some reason, they didn't know who he was. I, I believe the Bible says their eyes were closed so that they shouldn't know him, because if they had seen him, they would have been so excited they wouldn't have heard him. But he wanted them to hear the word, to understand the scriptures. That was more important to them than seeing him. And after they asked him, would you like to have the prayer, he goes like this, and he holds out his nail-scarred hands, and he says a Jewish prayer. It's the only Jewish prayer I know. It's the one for the bread. And he says that prayer, and they go, oh! Jesus! And poof, he disappears. I always thought, that's kind of a dirty trick. <laughs> I think he looked at them and he smiled and went poof. <laughs> and then they said to one another, oh, did not our hearts burn within us when we walked on the road and he opened to us the scriptures? Now these guys have just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
And the sun is now down. Isn't that what it says? They said, abide with us for it's sundown. That's where we get the song. Now they are so excited. They've had this new birth. They know Jesus is alive. They've had this Bible study. They cannot even wait till the next day. They arose the same hour and they go seven miles. That's 14 miles round trip. They go seven miles uphill in the dark. But they're happier now going uphill in the dark than they were going downhill in the daytime because going downhill in the daytime, they didn't know Jesus was alive. Now they know Jesus is alive. They're ready to go uphill in the dark. Why? To tell their friends that are sad. They don't know the good news that he's alive. And while they're up in the upper room telling their friends, he was known to us in the breaking of bread. You think that's an accident? Eternal life is knowing Jesus. He'll say to the lost, I don't know you. He's known. You must know him. How do you get to know him? He was known to them in the breaking of bread. He revealed himself in the breaking of bread. They saw him. They had this epiphany. I think the Spirit of God came upon them. And they were so excited and energized, they had to go and tell. I tell you what, friends, if God's church would go through a revival and really have an encounter with God like that, you couldn't keep the members from doing evangelism. We will not need more methods and programs and machines and money. If we would all go through a real conversion experience and if we were all born again, you could not keep the members from sharing their faith. What we need is that new birth experience. The Bible tells us that when people meet Jesus, they've got to tell someone else. You read about Philip when he found Nathanael after they heard John the Baptist say, this is the Son of God. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They heard that and they were so excited. Peter and Andrew found out. Then you read in 1 John 43 through 46, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then found Nathanael, said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. And as soon as he had heard from Peter and Andrew and John, we found the Messiah. First, the natural reaction is you've got to tell somebody else. When you discover, when you encounter Jesus, it's the most natural thing in the world You've got to tell someone else. I remember when evangelists would make altar calls and they have people come forward. They say, you need to repent of your sins. Now, you don't always hear that now. They say, come say this prayer. And often it's very watered down. But I like when they say, you need to pray, repent of your sins. Confess your sins to God. And then after you thank the Lord for hearing your prayer and forgiving your sins, go tell someone else. We leave that part out. One of the best things you can do to seal your faith is when someone comes to Jesus, get them involved in sharing with someone else. I remember years ago, I did an evangelistic meeting in Middle Lothian, Texas. It's just outside of Keene. Matter of fact, someone found a videotape of me preaching back then in the 80s. I show it to our AFCO students. Sign up for AFCO and I'll show you. I had a full head of hair back then. Someone sent that to me and I thought, who is that? And I was doing a revelation seminar, but I still remember that meeting because we did this meeting and this couple got baptized and they were from a Spanish family and they were so excited. Each of them had 11 brothers and sisters. 
They started to study with their brothers and sisters, and they started to come like the last night. And they said, Pastor, this is, you got to do another one. And I did another one. Immediately, I had one right after the other because there were so many people that were telling their friends. Isn't that how it ought to happen? Evangelism should be generating more evangelism. This thing ought to go like, what do they say, viral. That's not a good analogy, is it? <laughs> I can't use any of my old illustrations anymore. But, you know, you want it to just, yeah, it's supposed to grow exponentially. Everybody telling everybody. I love the story in John 4, 23. <clears throat> Jesus meets the woman at the well. <laughs> he sends the disciples away. They don't want Jesus to risk contamination from a Samaritan. So they leave him by Jacob's well. They say, look, we've got to, we're in Samaria and we've got to buy from these people. But we don't want you to be contaminated. They called them the dogs. Matter of fact, if you wanted to curse someone out back in Christ's day, you'd say that you are a, a dog, you're demon-possessed, and you're a, you're, a, you're a Samaritan. Just want you to understand that. So they leave, trying to spare Jesus from contamination. So they can go get lunch. And while Jesus is there, a Samaritan woman comes to get water. He asks her for a drink. And in that dialogue, I'm sure you've read it many times, you only find it here in John chapter 4. She's starting to argue about where to worship. And he says, Woman, the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. Notice the emphasis. Spirit. Spirit. We must worship him in the Holy Spirit and truth. Where's the truth? Thy word is truth, Jesus said. And the woman said to him, she hears something in his voice, there's something about him, and her mind stirs, and she thinks, this is a holy man. And she said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's right about that. Jesus said something to her that he didn't say to anyone else. He said, I who speak to you am he. You know, I like the Gospel of John because you find more I ams in John. You know, Moses said, who will I say has sent me? And he said, I am that I am. And Jesus lets us know who he is in the Gospel of John because he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And he says to this woman, I who speak to you am he. Her mouth falls open. He had revealed herself to him. She has this encounter with Christ. What's the next thing that happens? She says, look, we can't talk anymore. Of course, he noticed that he... He had to put his finger on a particular sin in her life. He said, go call your husband. Oh, strange you should mention that. I don't have a husband. Uh, yeah, he said, that's actually correct. You've had five husbands, and the character you're living with now you're not married to. Jesus wasn't wanting to condemn her, but she needed a little conviction, didn't she? But she saw the love and the mercy in his faith that he was willing to reveal who he was to her. So I think she went home. And first thing she did, she kicked that character out. And then she had to go tell everybody else in the town. 
At this point, it says the disciples show up and they marvel that he's talking with a woman, a Samaritan no less. And no one said, what, what do you seek? What are you talking to her for? The woman left her water pot and she went her way into the city. You know, I think when those two disciples in Emmaus, when Jesus said that he was the Messiah and he blessed the bread, I don't think they sat down and ate. They probably threw the bread in a, in a napkin and ate as they ran uphill. She dropped her water pot. Didn't even think about that water because Jesus was offering her living water. Amen? She left her water pot and she went into the city and she said to the men, come and see. This is what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could this be the Christ? She's not going to debate with him, but she said, I met a man. I've had an encounter with Jesus. And they went out of the city and they came to him. First thing she does when she finds Christ is she has to go tell other people about Jesus. You see, friends, I I've not covered all the stories in the Bible. Everywhere you look, you see this pattern. When people really have an encounter with Christ, and it's always in the context of the word, he shares the word with them. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they pray. And then the next natural thing is the gospel goes like wildfire. She tells him, and eventually the whole town comes out. This woman, like Jonah, becomes someone who God uses to bring a great revival. Would God that we could have that experience in our churches, that we would all have a personal experience. I, I forget, I think it was HMS, yeah, it was. It was HMS Richard Sr. that said the gospel is not going to take off until all the pastors are in jail. Said when all the pastors are in jail, the members realize, you know, we just need to read the word and we need to do this ourselves. A few years ago, I had a very incredible experience. You know, public evangelism is not allowed in China. But there was a brief window in 2014 where just the right people were at the right place at the right time, and they said, maybe we will open up the country and we'll try some public evangelism. And they invited Amazing Facts to go to China. And we went to the city of Wuxi, which is just outside of Shanghai. Biggest city in the world, by the way, Shanghai. And um, they let me do a full-scale public evangelistic program, 14 nights. Place was packed. They were sitting outside the building listening through the windows. And these are not Adventists. They're coming from what they call the three self. It's sort of a commingling Protestant church. And I said to the pastors, I said, now it's okay for me to like preach the Sabbath? They said, yes. State of the dead? Yes. I said, these are all Sunday keepers here, right? Yes. Mark of the beast? Yes. They said, communists don't care about theology. Just don't say anything about the state. And I was able to preach, and they recorded it. And they passed the tapes out. And you know what? The people there, the church there is exploding because the more the government cracks down and they arrest the pastors and they destroy the churches, it goes into the homes of the people. And the people have, they understand what persecution is and the gospel is just, it's taking off and it's spreading on the underground. And they are praying and they're getting incredible answers to prayer because they're having an encounter with Jesus and his word. They're memorizing whole books of the Bible because they don't have very many Bibles. They're memorizing whole books. Heard about this one pastor, and they brought him to preach, and he'd never preached before. And they said, well, what can you share? He said, well, I've memorized the book of Matthew. 
So he said, let me read it to you. And he quoted the whole book of Matthew to him. The good news, you won't be able to keep it to yourself if we really discover the good news. Back in the 1850s, they had a gold strike in the uh, Black Hills of South Dakota, and a couple of prospectors found a rich gold vein. And they said, you know, we don't have enough equipment to mine this. We have found the mother load. We've got to go back to town and get some equipment. And they each agreed. They said, do not utter a peep. Everybody was kind of combing the hills back then looking for gold. They had found a little bit. So they went back to town, and they bought their supplies. And as they were going out of town, they saw scores of people that were following them from a distance. And they'd turn down one trail, and they'd follow them down the trail. Finally, they stopped by a river, and all the people caught up and kind of ran into each other. And they said, where are you guys going? They said, where are you going? They said, we're not telling you. Why are you following us? They said, you found gold. And he whispered to his partner, did you say anything? He said, I didn't say a word. They said, what makes you think that? I said, it's all over your face. You can't hide it. And when we really find Jesus, you won't be able to hide it. You won't be able to keep it yourself. Friends, you and I have the serum. You and I have the answer to the questions of the world in the gospel. The world is starving for the bread of life. And you and I have a tremendous treasure of this. Jesus wants us to know that he is a living God. He, his promise, he said, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. Did he send the Holy Spirit? Can you show me in the Bible where God has withdrawn his promise? No, he has not. Today is a day of good news. Now, therefore, let us come to Jesus that we may go and tell the king's household. What do you say? Can I pray with you before we close? Let's stand together and ask him. Father in heaven, Lord, it is our prayer that we could experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that it is absolutely crucial that we are born not only of water, but of the Spirit. Send your Spirit once again, Lord, in Pentecostal power on your people. Help us to all have this personal encounter with Jesus as the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the woman at the well. Help us to see you like Paul and like Isaiah. Help us to have a vision of our Savior lifted up that will transform us, Lord. And as a result, fill our hearts with a burning desire to share the good news. Please, Lord, bless each member, bless the church, the pastors, the leaders. And I pray that we can experience the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Lord, we know you're coming soon, and time is short. And so please, do this quickly. We thank you and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.